almost a million dollars raised through two Kickstarter campaigns, an offer from Damon John on Shark Tank, and a NASCAR race sponsorship. Check out this interview to get the full behind-the-scenes story of this founder's crazy success over the past few years. Are you looking for new ways to make your sales grow? You've tried other podcasts, but they don't seem to know. Harvest the growth potential of your product or service as we share stories and strategies that'll make your competitors nervous. Now, here's the host of the Harvest Growth Podcast, John LeClaire. Welcome back to the show. Today, I'm really excited to be interviewing Sean Kelly. He's got a product that's super unique and different. You've got to check out their website. We'll have it in the show notes, of course. It's Draft Top, two T's in the middle, Draft Top. Com. If you're watching the video, he's got the shirt on in front of him as well. And again, we'll put in the show notes for those of you who might be driving and listening to the audio version, et cetera. I'm going to let him describe the product. It's really cool, super different. And he's had a great success story behind this that we're going to dive into the details. But before I go off too much, Sean, welcome to the show. Hey, John, thank you so much for having me. I'm really happy to be here. Um, but just to describe why I'm here, I guess, is, um, you know, I, I co-founded a company called Draft Top. We're the world's first beverage can opener. Um, we specifically uh, made a can opener that takes the top off of your beer can, soda can, seltzer can, whatever you want to drink out of the can, um, to try and make it more like a pint glass. Um, and uh, it's been a lot of fun and it's been a crazy ride. And I'm happy to kind of talk about it a little bit with you and uh, your listeners. Yeah. And as I mentioned, I do encourage everyone to please visit the, the website just to check it out. There's a great video at the top. You'll see it in five seconds. You'll understand exactly how this works. Um, and I, you know, I imagine you want to want to buy one. It's a pretty, pretty cool product, but either way, just check it out to see it. I, I, my, myself, I drink a lot of soda, especially out of, out of cans. And, uh, you know, I love the concept for turning. It's just a different experience. Right. And I, I think one of the things you talk about in some of your videos and your website is the smell is part of it. How does the, how does that make a difference? Like how would you describe the experience drinking out of a can after taking the top off versus traditionally? Yeah, absolutely. So some people may be thinking right now, why the heck would I ever need this? Um, why would anyone ever knew this was a problem? Um, and you know, why is this that device exists? So, um, really it's about the aroma. Um, we, uh, it's about a couple of different things, but mainly about the aroma and about the environment. Um, we believe that cans are the best vessel for liquid. Uh, they don't let any light, they don't let any oxygen in. Their can technology has changed from your uh, your old dad's days from the 70s where they said, don't drink any beer out of aluminum cans because it tastes bad. That's not true anymore. There's a microthin film in the can. The can never, the liquid never touches the metal. Um, so that might've been true in the 70s, not true anymore. Um, but the reason we meant this was because we felt like, um, the cans are everywhere and they're part of every experience, right? They're in your fridge. Um, they're in your beer fridge. They're at the park when you're um, at a family reunion. They're at the tailgate when you're watching your favorite football team play. They're in all of these different experiences. And um, we just didn't like the idea of people pouring the liquid or beer, or whatever, into uh, single-use plastic cups and then tossing them out. And they have a perfectly nice vessel right there. So, um, we decided to kind of use the can itself, the vessel that it's already in, and, um, you know, de develop a device that, that removes the top. And when, by removing the top, it's kind of like, you know, a lot of people think about wine. Um, they let it breathe. They, poured it, they put it through all these gizmos and gadgets to kind of get it aerated. 
Um, and then they uh, sip it out of the proper glass. Um, a lot of times with, uh, when you're at a brewery, they'll pour a an IPA in an IPA glass and they'll pour a stout in a different type of glass. And a Guinness has a specific glass. And all of these are um, designed specifically to like enhance the aroma. And if you enhance the aroma, you enhance the flavor and the taste and the experience of that beverage that you're enjoying. And so um, we wanted to be a part of that. And that's why uh, Draft Top exists. You talked about that protective layer. I, I'd never realized why the experience is at least better now than it used to be. And of course, even better with the draft top to take the top off. Is that same protective layer on the lid as well? Or when you drink out of the lid, does that, does that add some of that metal taste that we once had back in the day? Um, well, so when we believe that uh, drinking out of the cans with like the tab on it, uh, you know, the, the, the way of just popping the tab is just it I like to say it, it's it sucks um, because yeah. you're like literally guggling, you know, glugging out of it and your nose is pressed against the aluminum. And so people do tend to experience that, uh, you know, aluminum kind of aroma, I guess, when they're drinking out of a can. And so it it kind of just doesn't do anything for you when uh, for the flavor, at least if you care about you know, how, how everything tastes, um, then, you know, drinking out of the, the tan, can tab is probably not the best thing to do. Yeah. Um, nothing against it. I mean, we're all, we're all for cans here. So, um, if that's how you want to enjoy it, that's how you should enjoy it. So let's talk about the, the origins of this. So it goes way back. I know you guys met a little bit later in the process uh, cycle of this, the, the, the product itself, but what's the true origin of this idea? Yeah, so the, the true origin is my co-founder, Armin Franti. Uh, a friend of his showed him how to remove the top of a beer can with his canine teeth. Uh, and, you know, he did it as kind of a party trick and uh, he got really good at it. And um, he kind of thought to himself, hey, this experience is way better out of the can than it is like, you know, pouring it or, or you know, just drinking out of the, the, the tab. So... Um, he decided that, uh, if we could come up with a way to remove the top, safely remove the top, um, then, you know, that might be better than having a lot of dental issues and, uh, dental bill. Um, if you mess up your teeth, trying to take the top off with your teeth. That's funny. It's yeah, I can't even visualize that. I, I, I read that story about how that happened, but it just sounds scary to me <laughs> to take it off with your teeth. I he like your idea much better. Tank. Yeah, he did. He did do it on that's Shark Tank. Right. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, that's right. That's funny. That's funny. And we'll get into that Shark Tank story a, a little bit later in the interview as well. So let's rewind back to 2012 or so. This is kind of when the two of you lined up, and then spent a couple of years getting it ready, and then ultimately launched around 2015 or you know brought it into revenue. So tell us that that story. So we talked about how the product came to be. Now let's talk about how the business came to be. Yeah. So, um, we met, uh, working in, um, you know, corporate America and, um, he brought me the idea and I was a big beer guy. I said, Hey, this is, this would be perfect for the beer world. Everything's moving to cans. This was 2012. Um, so bottling was kind of going out of fashion. Um, canning was becoming a lot cheaper and easier to, to do for beer specifically. And, uh, there's a huge, about to be a huge wave of, uh, craft brewers popping up all over the yeah. U S uh, beer Renaissance, if you will. Um, so we, we decided to try to do the best we could on a nights and weekends garage tinker around, you know, um, I think Armin used to go and sit 
in the liquor store. He made friends with a liquor store owner by his house and he'd sit there and measure all the different types of can tops, um, you know, out of the fridge, just on the floor with like a, um, you know, not a ruler, but um, I can't, I don't know exactly what the, what the tool is called, um, but he'd get it down to a millimeter. So we had like kind of like a variance of what cans were out there. So uh, anyways, during that process, we, we tried to get something that was robust and uh, an MVP or a minimal viable product. And then we wanted to actually see if people would purchase it. So uh, we got to working level where we felt it was comfortable enough, where it was good enough to go out to the public with. And we started a Kickstarter in 2015. It went really well. Um, I personally sat down and researched every person who wrote about beer in the months before or in the beverage industry or anything, anything about cans or beer or whatever, or gadgets um, in the months before we launched and emailed them personally uh, with all of our, you know, media kit and everything like that um, when we launched and it went really well. I mean, we raised $214,000 in 30 days, uh, no marketing, um, just the outreach, um, which helped us get into both uh, Playboy and food and wine in the same week, which I think is kind of crazy. <laughs> that's awesome. Um, yeah. And that's, I think that's a step or part of the process that's often missed with crowdfunding or Kickstarter campaigns is you know, a lot of people think like, hey, I've got a great product. I can put it on that's going to sell itself or I, you know, I need to spend a lot of money behind it, which is, an, it's a way to do it. It works, Right. But I think putting that prep work in advance, like you talked about, is finding the, the the influencers, right? Whether that's writers or whatever field they might be in, right? Not everybody's a, a TikTok influencer, right? Like, you know, people that influence the market could be writers for the New York Times or Food and Wine, or you know, you mentioned Playboy, other magazines that you might be in, and and getting their attention, right? And not everyone's going to respond, so get that, do that prep work, reach out, and that's interesting. And you said you you really spent no money or very little money on marketing in that first campaign, huh? zero zero dollars on that um and it, it, like i said it was really just researching and um there's a, a great blog about that that i was on like tim ferris blog uh, um he had a whole thing about how to do this step by step um it may be a little bit outdated now but um it's still a lot of good nuggets on it that you can kind of like remix and apply to today's world um that may be a little bit different and essentially it boils down to writing the story for the person because this content is, they need to push stuff out all the time. And so if you can write it for them and provide everything for them to where they can knock out a couple blog, you know, a blog out of it in 10 minutes, then all of a sudden, you know, they're, they're more likely to, to write about you. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it ultimately comes down to it's, it's kind of time versus money, right? So mm-hmm. You can't, you got to do one or the other, a combination of the two. So if you can spend the time like you did Mm -hmm. doing the research, reaching out directly to people that have big audiences, then that becomes your marketing, right? And it doesn't have to cost money. The alternative becomes, you know, you can do it without that, spend less time on it, but you just need to spend more money, right? So you pay to reach people directly or spend your time to to get in front of them. You know, it's kind of like the old scenario of, Marketing is really the way to reach out to many people at the same time. Win a one to many, they call it, right? If you had unlimited time, you could reach out one by one by one by one. And anybody could sell a good product, right? If they could talk to everybody, we just don't have that time. So what you've done is I kind of in the middle, right? So it's like you spend the time to other people that already have audiences in place. And it's a way to reach and touch their audiences, uh, in, you know, in inexpensive or freeway in, in your regards. So that's, that's a great way to describe it. 
And then you did a, a second Kickstarter launch as well and even raised even more money. How, how far after the first campaign was the second one launched? Um, we launched in 2019, December of 2019. Okay. Um, that lasted for 30 days and did, I think, 595000 um, they, we did push marketing into that one. We did apply a lot of the same principles, but we threw a little bit more gas on the fire, um, to kind of get that out and, and make the most of the 30 days that we had on that platform. Um, and it worked really well for us. I mean, we, we kind of, you know, after the first one, we took a lot of feedback from our customers and applied it, uh, to, you know, the, the product iteration process that we have. Um, we went out and got an engineer um, and a new partner who's, you know, robotics and mechanical engineer, um, you know, and he, he helped redesign the tool. Uh, we made it a lot cheaper and we brought the manufacturing into the US, uh, which was um, ultimately very timely for us um, with COVID hitting a few months after and uh, shipping container rates going way high. Um, for the up until now, um, yeah, true. It just came down. So true, uh, true. it it was about uh, yeah, it was about four four years of okay. of kind of iterating and and you know um, expanding on it. And then you mentioned Shark Tank already. Where did that fit into the timeline? Um, yeah, so Shark Tank reached out to us in I think February or March of 2020. Um, and they, they saw our Kickstarter. They really liked the product. It was interesting. It's never been seen before. So, um, you know, we went through the process of, uh, the whole pitch process and everything like that, them and, um, our Shark Tank episode came out in, uh, February of 2021. So about a year from that first time they reached out to you until you're, until it aired. You were cool. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's a that's a that's a pretty fast, actually. You know, we we've interviewed a lot of Shark Tank uh, guests, some successful, some not, in terms of getting a deal, et cetera. And and uh, sometimes they're years, right? It could take a long time, and uh, yeah. but it's ends up being a, a positive experience for most. So, how would you describe how how did it help your business? Yeah, I I think it it, it was a positive experience. You know, on the show we got a deal. Um, at the end and the back, we ended up uh, just. It, uh, we got to deal with Damon John, who's fantastic. His team is amazing. I have nothing but nice things to say about him. And he's just a really genuine, awesome, awesome, awesome person. Um, we uh, decided to go different ways after the show. Um, and that's okay. That's what happens sometimes in businesses. And um, maybe we don't fit his profile or he doesn't fit our profile or whatever. It doesn't matter. Um, but the, the process of being on there was great for us because, you know, um, it helped us get a lot of like national recognition. Um, it's good in conversations for sure. You know, it opens up a couple doors when you can talk to retailers, you can talk to uh, potential people who want to buy your product and say, yeah, we were on Shark Tank or usually they, when I'm telling someone what I do for a living, they say, you should be on Shark Tank. And then I <laughs> can say, yes, I already was. So, Too late. Um, but it was, it was a great experience. That's cool. So a question I've, I've actually never asked is, uh, or an experience I've never talked about in a podcast interview is a NASCAR sponsorship. So that's an interesting opportunity that you took advantage of uh, during the COVID times. Can you tell us a little bit about your experience in, in sponsoring NASCAR? Yeah. So 
um, again, during COVID, things are just moving really fast for us. Everyone was buying stuff online. So um, it was great. I mean, D2C was, it went, the D2C market exploded and we happened to be at the right place at the right time. Um, And so it was awesome for us. And, you know, because our sales were so great during the time, um, and no one was going to live events because they simply couldn't or weren't allowed to. Uh, NASCAR was losing out on some sponsorships and, and had people backing out and stuff. And we ended up getting an opportunity. We were going to try and do something on premise with them. And then uh, something came up and they said, would you want to sponsor a whole race, um, which happened to be the a nationally televised one on Saturday. It was their, um, you know, the, like the second tier NASCAR um, so it was, you know, not the cup series, but the one right below that, that races on Saturdays. And, um, it was awesome. I mean, they, they, it was a draft top 250. It was in Martinsville as the penultimate race, um, in October, I think it was Halloween of 2020, 2020 actually. Okay. And, uh, it was awesome. We got to go there and, you know, I felt like, uh, felt like I owned the place. It was great. Um, yeah. got to say, start rev, start your engines and, you know, um, they mentioned it on TV and we got to, it was, it was really a cool, cool experience, um, as a sports fan. Yeah. I can only imagine, you know, there's, there's a lot of value inherent in doing experiences or activities like that in our, in our business. Sometimes they work well for the business. Also, sometimes they're great just for the experience and not for the business. Did this help? Would you, did you find it overall helpful, profitable for your business? Um, I would say that our experience was probably, if we had to do it over again, I probably wouldn't, um, because it was a, a, a lot of money. Um, and I didn't, the ROI for the direct ROI for us wasn't, uh, the measurable direct ROI wasn't as high as we thought it might be. Um, and that's nothing, it's not a knock on NASCAR or any sponsorships in general. It's just, um, sometimes you have to find things that fit your niche and, um, or maybe speak to the people that you want to speak to. And I think that we could, we tried to squeeze as much juice out of this as we could. And I think we did a, a good enough job for really being four guys in a garage at the time who were sponsoring yeah. a NASCAR race, which is kind of crazy when you think about it. Um, and, you know, it's, it's something, it was, it was a learning experience for us. Um, I think I'll be definitely more prepared the next time we go into the sponsorship world, but I definitely think twice about sponsoring things now um, simply because it's, I really want to make sure, you know, you have to be aware of where your dollars are getting spent and yeah. what are you getting back for that time and energy? And, um, you know, you want to be able to measure that. And if it's not going well, then you have to be able to kind of say, it's not, it, this isn't it. We need to, we need to move in another direction. Um, so, you know, it was, it was definitely an experience um, and not one that I regret, but definitely one that um, I would having the experience now would, would think twice about doing. Yeah. I think it's, there's like two different worlds in terms of marketing, right? There's the direct to consumer measurable, you know, where you can see and understand your ROI for virtually every dollar that you spend, whether that's TV, digital, wherever it might be. So that's, you know, one side of it. And then the other side of the equation is the the branding side, right? So there's a lot of brands out there, you know, know, a lot of the beer brands, for example, they're never going to ship direct to consumer, right? For various reasons, right? So they've got to build their brand, their awareness, and try to really separate themselves. And that's where sponsorship, you know, it can be, as you mentioned, very expensive, it is important to understand the difference, right? If branding is your goal, I mean, that's awesome that you can say, 
you know, you had the draft top 250, like, man, what a rare experience for sure. And you can talk about that forever and, you know, promote it on, on, your, on your website and in other campaigns that you do, even in the future. The cool factor is certainly there, but it is branding, right? I know you understand this, but for the benefit of our audience, the, the big difference, right? Between truly measurable marketing, direct to, direct to consumer marketing, and then branded marketing like, like that as well. So, but yeah, what a cool experience. I can, I can only imagine it's uh, something you'll, you'll have that memory forever. Yeah. Yeah. And I couldn't send it better myself. I mean, you, you nailed it. Um, you know, there is a difference between branding and sponsorships and, and then also like direct to consumer marketing, yeah. um, actionable marketing. And um, you just got to know the difference going in. So yeah, for sure. So what's next for your business? Yeah. So now um, there's a lot of things that are next. We have again, taken feedback. We're always iterating on our products um, and we're always looking for the next thing. We're always looking to try and improve our experience. Um, so we literally just like last week uh, launched uh, what we call the draft top lift. Um, a lot of the customer feedback from the previous versions were that they didn't like that the top falls into the can. Um, and it's been very hard for us to kind of like figure out the engineering behind like grabbing the top because um, some of you who may be listening to this or watching this right now might be screaming, put a magnet on it. Um, <laughs> trust me, we've heard that before. I learned the hard way. Aluminum is not magnetic or ferrous or whatever it is called. Um, you can't put a magnet on it. It will not capture it. I wish it could. My life would have been a lot easier over the past few years if it was. Um, but so we've had to engineer and, and, and be, uh, you know, scrappy with the way that we've come up with how to grab the top. And so really uh, the feedback we were hearing from our, our customers were like, Hey, you know, there's a little bit of a learning curve with this sometimes. And um, I don't like that the top falls in. And so if you could grab the top and make it like a, t a hair bit easier to use, I I'd be cool with it. So that's what we did. Um, and we're really, really proud of it. We're really happy with how the launch went last week. And um, you know, the fans have been, the customers have been awesome. Um, and they're really excited. You can tell they're emailing us and saying, Hey, you finally did what we've asked been, awesome. been asking for. And it just takes so long with molds and engineering and, you know, prototyping and testing. And, um, I just don't like, I never understood how much goes into making and designing even a product that like is just a can opener. Um, it, you know, and then, and then, putting it to market, it's crazy how much work is on the back end that people just don't see. Um, and, you know, if, if I could have gotten this out three years ago, I would have gotten it out three years ago, but we couldn't. And so um, what's next is that um, we have a couple more products that we're hoping to launch in 2023. And, um, you know, I'd be happy to uh, share them with you when I can. And, um, but, but we're really happy with the, with the lift right now because it pulls the top off and it's easy to use. Awesome. Check that out and love to have you back on the show. Once you launch your next round too, we can talk about that. So you built, you've got a great product we talked about. You've got, you built a great business behind it, had a lot of success over the years in this. Are there any resources that you recommend that have been helpful to you as you've built your business? Yeah. Um, I listened to a podcast called my first million. Um, it's a, it's a great, great podcast about kind of like just ideation and, um, thinking outside of the box, uh, specifically with like D to C stuff and, and how to market to people. And, and it's, it's really interesting. Um, obviously your podcast, um, I've been listening to it and it's been fantastic. I've, I've learned quite a lot from your, uh, your past guests. Um, 
especially with like the grill, the, the grill cleaning guy. Um, that was, that was really cool. And, um, the, the dust, the baby dust stuff, the diaper dust, cool. that was, diaper that dust, was interesting yeah. too. Yeah. So, um, I've been, I've been listening to a few and it's been great. And, and then I would say, um, a book that really kind of changed the trajectory of how my life has been, um, you know, the four hour work week by Tim Ferriss. And it's, it's, I think he just came out with one that's been an updated version of it, but it's, um, you know, I'm a big fan of his and, I think he's, he's done a lot of good things and um, he really kind of puts everything into perspective and, and makes it easy to follow. So yeah, there's dummies like me, you know, <laughs> likewise, that's great. It's, you know, we were talking before our interview started about that book specifically and man, it's been around for a long time. And we've, I think in our world, we feel like everybody knows it. Um, but it's, it's not true. I, you know, anyone who's launched a business in the last few years may not know much about it or may not have read it. And, or if you have, you know, for me, it's been a long time. I should pick it back up again. Some good principles in there. It's, you know, no book is perfect. Right. Mm -hmm. But he, he does a great job of explaining how to make business life easier. And, you know, does he really work four hours? Yeah, probably not probably more. Right. But, yeah. but he's got principles we can use to yeah. make our work life better, more effective, more efficient for sure. And it's, it's, yeah, I recommend it as well. Well, Sean, is there anything I didn't ask in this interview that you think could be helpful for our audience? Um, yeah, I got So I have a couple things. One, I have a discount code for everyone. Um, at uh, Harvest15, uh, you can get 15% off your order at drafttop.com. Um, so go grab the lift. And that's good through the end of November. Um, and then I'd also like, I totally forgot, but I should just demo the product for you. I have it here and I had it next to me the whole time. So for Absolutely. those who are watching, they can actually see it work and not have to visualize it. So basically this is a, an open can and then kind of, this is the lift, by the way, we kind of flip it on there. Cool. Grabs the top, squeeze, and we just twist a couple times. Should pull the top right off. And you're doing a water seltzer can yeah. for our, our, our family-friendly audience. Nice. Yes. <laughs> that's great. I, oh, I love it how that sticks in there. That's fantastic. That's a great. Sometimes program. I'll get do a beer, but you know, it's I still got some hours to work after today. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> love it. Well, Sean, thanks again for taking the time there. This has been awesome for our audience. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much, John. I appreciate it. Please be sure to check out drafttop.com. D-R-A-F-T top.com to learn more about Sean's great product. And also be sure to check out Harvest Growth to see other episodes of our podcast that we've recorded. If you like this episode, you want to learn more about how you can profitably grow your consumer product business, please subscribe to our show and be sure to leave us a review. Thanks so much. 